You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Scott Sambucci, founder at Sales Qualia, about an endurance mindset for sales success. Back in 2009, I had this idea that I thought it would be really cool to run a marathon. So a marathon, if you're unaware, is about 26, well, it's not about, it is 26.2 miles. So I was living in Oregon at this time, going to school in Oregon State. And I was like, one of my friends was like, yeah, let's run a marathon. I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. And the training for that usually takes, I believe it was 90 days of training. And it's it's a lot of miles. I mean, you're running four times a week. You know, Saturdays, I think it was, you're doing your long distances and you never get to when you're training, at least the plan that I was to the full 26.2 miles, you're usually running about 20, but it takes you a while. You know, it's a lot of hours of training. And one of the things that I felt after I finished that race, and I did terrible, by the way, took me six and a half hours. I didn't train as well enough uh, as I should, but one of the feelings that I had that I, you know, that still I carry with me to this day is this sense of, I can do anything. You know, I just ran 26.2 miles. I did what normally takes me on the highway about 25 to 30 minutes to drive, you know, because I was living down in a small town called, you know, Brookings is where I grew up in the, you know, it was a highway was between, it wasn't even a freeway. It was highway 101. So the speed limit was 55. And I remember Crescent city was 30 minutes away. And I was like, I just ran that distance. And it really made me feel like, you know, I can do whatever I put my mind to. And that experience really translates well into sales as well, because sales is very much a marathon, your sales career. You know, it's not about making one sale for most of us, at least it's about making many sales right over an entire career, where if you're running a business, it's about running that business and being successful year after year after year. So there's a lot of, I would say, parallels between, you know, endurance in that mindset and like being an endurance athlete. And sales. And that's why I wanted to have Scott Sambucci, our guest today, come on and talk because he runs ultra marathons. And if you're just listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting and share proven tactics and strategies to help you land more meetings. And what we're focused on today is really more of a mindset um, kind of thing with Scott. And I know Scott from Sales Qualia. I met him, which you're going to find out in the interview, through a cold email, which is how I meet most of the people in our industry. But I sent him a cold email to get on his podcast. We talked, and he's like, hey, Jason, what if you coached my crew over here? So he works with startup founders on their sales process and scaling their sales process. He's like, what if you help with Outbound? And I've been doing that for the last couple months. It's just been an absolute blast in, in getting to know Scott. And the dude's just a badass. So he's been selling for over two decades. He's been a VP of sales. He's done he's done everything. And he's been running sales qualia since 2011. So he's been running his business for a while. And he just has a lot of diverse experience because he doesn't just do sales. Like I said, he's an endurance athlete. And he runs ultra marathons. These are races that are like 100 plus miles, I believe, over a series of days. And what we're going to dig into today is how that endurance mindset that he has, um, how that translates into sales. We're going to talk about discipline and where that comes from and what holds us back from being disciplined and being consistent, especially with our sales approach. And the other thing we're going to talk about is with the startup founders 
and the people on the founding sales teams that he works with along with the salespeople, what they're struggling with and what typically holds them back from a discipline and mindset standpoint. So I'm super excited for this interview. Before you check it out, one quick announcement. We're doing a summer virtual tour called Think Outside the Script. And instead of doing a virtual summit where you condense you know, 25, 30 speakers pre-recorded talks, which I can't stand when they're pre-recorded, into two or three days, we're going to spread it out over the entire summer. And we have 40 of the best speakers in uh, prospecting. So people that know cold outreach, cold emails, cold calling, that sort of stuff. And we got 40 of them. They're going to be talking throughout the entire summer. We're going to do two to three events per week that are live. And they're going to be talking all about cold outreach and how we can do that to set more meetings. The cool part, too, is that it's free. And you can sign up at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Go check it out. It's free. Tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. So we met in the way that I meet a lot of people in our industry. I don't yeah. know if you remember. I, I sent you a cold email. Yeah, you cold emailed me. Of course you did. Well, how else would we have met? Yeah. I'm sure you probably met your wife on a cold email. Uh, a cold Tinder message, actually, was oh, how I okay. met my wife. See? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, I mean, she swiped right also. Right yeah, she swiped uh, right also. But the, the funny part to that story is that I was using another app called Bonfire, where you can swipe right on like 200 people at a time. And then I would A-B test headlines on my profile, like the copy on the profile, the picture, like the profile picture, the first picture. Um, so I'd A-B test all these things and I found out like what would work. And then if I didn't want to go on a date with someone, I'd unmatch them. But we just totally happened. Like she had just moved to Portland six months prior to that. And just out of sheer luck, we happened to both swipe right. And mine was in a less romantic way, I think. <laughs> Very process oriented. I love that, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we've, we've been working together and talking to each other, I think for almost a year now or something like Coming that. Maybe a, a year. It's been a good nine months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's been really cool. And what I'm excited to talk to you about and what I want to get into is, and this might be a good place to start actually, is your birthday was just this last Monday as we're recording this. Yeah. And I was telling you before we started recording, you're like the only person I know that like will go on like a 29 mile run for fun. <laughs> On your birthday. Was my, that was my birthday <laughs> gift to myself. It was, it was actually my wife's idea of all things because I, I do these endurance events. I consider myself an endurance athlete. Mostly I'm doing ultra running right now. Yeah. And um, I sort of joke, I like to cover vast distances by means of self-propulsion. <laughs> <laughs> the, the scientific way of describing what I do. And so um, this year, like a lot of things, everything's canceled. I was supposed to do a really big race in the end of June called the Western States 100. It's kind of the Super Bowl of ultra marathons. It's a hundred mile race and starts in Tahoe, comes down to the Sacramento Valley and that got canceled. And then other races are all getting canceled. So, I, and I haven't been able to go out to the trails because parks have been closed. And so my wife said, you know, we could just go crew you if you want to go just do a long run on your birthday. And I thought about it, like driving out to a trail and that would just take all day. And I didn't want to take their time. So I just put together a, I decided to run 46 kilometers on my 46th birthday, which turned, it turned out to be like 47 or 48 K, which yeah. is like 29 miles. And I just mapped a course from my house around Davis, California and started at 531 in the morning and finished around 1015. Oh, and dude. it was very fulfilling. Oh God, that's crazy. So how did you get in? Like, if we take it back, how did you get into all the endurance stuff? Like, when did you start? When did you learn that you were actually had this 
the mindset for it, I, I guess, because I feel like a lot of endurance has to do with the mindset. So I, you know, out of college, I did a couple of triathlons, like short, shorter distance triathlons. Mm -hmm. I was in my professional career, you know, looking for stuff to do, stay active, those kinds of things. I did a marathon uh, a long time ago when I was about 24. But did and you then, do cross country or anything like that in high school? Mm -hmm. Oh, so you didn't do any distance played, stuff prior to I that? I played soccer. Okay. No, I was never a runner. I just ran playing soccer and other sports. And so uh, the triathlons were interesting to me. I used to watch the Ironman uh, specials they'd have on, mm -hmm. on NBC, I think it was. And I was like, oh, that always looked cool. I always wanted to do an Ironman. And so I kind of thought about doing those kinds of races. It was like, like kind of like a dream of doing an Ironman. And so I kind of like doing these shorter triathlons. And then I went through a stretch of about 10 years where I basically didn't do anything other than, you know, hang out on the weekends with buddies and party a lot. And as I got, it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of like this trap that a lot, I think a lot of people fall, I call it a trap because it was for me, like I came out of um, a situation where like, okay, now you're out of college where you're kind of like used to partying and I'm like, okay, I should stop partying now because I have a job and you want to be serious. And then you realize like, oh, having a job is actually not that hard. It's just like, you have to show up. And if you're reasonably intelligent, you can get good work done. And people are like, oh, okay, this is good. And you start figuring out how to cut corners. And so I went through this phase. Uh, I was like, oh, so now I could just like, I have all this money because I'm making whatever, $100,000 a year. And I got these weekends off and the nights are off. I don't have to do anything. So I kind of lapsed into this like process of like poker nights and bars on the weekends and all that stuff. And then I got married. So how old were you uh, when you got married? I got married when I was 32. Okay. 32. Yeah. So like I said, I had like this roughly eight to 10 year stretch. Or call it eight years. You're just yeah, getting after right. it for like eight or 10 years. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> and I went from, you know, I got up to 235 pounds. I'm down. I'm right now. I'm at 190. Uh, oh, I usually wow. race at about 185. So I've got, I mean, usually my race weight is 185. So, I mean, I basically lost about 50 pounds. Um, but that didn't happen overnight. I, I basically got to the point where I got married and even though I was married, I was still doing the old stuff. Um, and my wife was like, okay, yeah, but we're kind of married, you know, like, you know the, the poker nights on Tuesday night until four in the morning. Like, I don't know, maybe that's not such a good idea. And so I just came down to making a decision. I was like, okay, I can either keep doing the old stuff or I can look at this new life that I chose with my wife and say, this is my new life. And in a lot of ways, like going through this birthday this past week I actually talked with her we we're just sitting outside and I said I feel like that moment or that like point of my life once we got through that first year of marriage was really the end of my childhood like my childhood really was those first 30 years of my life and now I'm in this second act I mean, people talk about three acts of life and my childhood did just extended all the way through to the point I was 32 and now I'm in the second act I'm about 14 years into act two and that was really the catalyst for me looking for like, okay, if I'm not going to party on the weekends and stay up to four in the morning on a Tuesday night playing poker, what am I going to do? And my wife was working on her PhD at UC Davis. We were married, had no kids. So she was research, study, TA, all the stuff that goes with being a graduate student all night, all weekend. And I'm just at home doing nothing. So I, was, I broke out my old steel frame diamondback bike and started riding again and running a little bit and we went on a vacation to hawaii with her parents and it was happy to be in kona 
and the the condo where we were staying was right on the main highway where all of the runners finish oh, wow. their Ironman. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, this is the road that I've seen on TV probably 10 times. I've watched that show how many times. And so I just got up one day, one early morning, and I went for a long run. And I came back and I said, I'm going to start doing triathlons again. Dude. And that was, that was back when I was 33 years old, so about 11 years ago. I love it. Uh, you mentioned something about weight loss. I didn't know that about you, yeah. actually, that you used Most to. Most people don't. Most people yeah. are really surprised to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're about, we're about the same size, actually. I'm about six foot, 190-ish, 195 pounds. I don't have the endurance chops that you do. But uh, I did go through a period where I put on maybe 15 or 20 pounds of, you know, well, it's probably more like 30 pounds because I lost the muscle where I just was drinking mm -hmm. a lot and, you know, partying and doing a lot of that stuff. Was like when you look at the because it takes a lot of discipline to lose weight usually, right? I mean, and, and then to mm -hmm. keep it off. Have you ever struggled with like that discipline, or was there a journey there where you had to like be like, well, to mm -hmm. lose weight, especially with endurance, it's like a day to day thing. It's not like I just eat really yeah. well for a couple of weeks and lose weight. What was that process of like the discipline? Was that ever something that you struggled with? Um. I, I struggle with, it. I still somewhat struggle with it in the sense of like, I love, like, I don't, I'm like kind of away from the beer and stuff. I think I'll still have a beer or two. It's not like I'm like yeah. completely forbid myself from alcohol or anything like that. Um, but I love cookies. I love sweets. I love ice cream, ice cream sandwiches. And <laughs> so when I'm training, um, I have to be really disciplined because of the diet um, that I take. So I, I typically try to follow it when I'm in training mode, I follow a ketogenic diet, which is like mm -hmm. really low carbs. Um, and so I actually use an app where I'm monitoring my caloric intake every single day. I like scan every bit of food and I'm monitoring how many calories I'm taking in because if I don't like right now, because I'm not training, I get loose. So I'm like, Oh, I'm at, you know, I'm getting I'm food shopping. So I'll just grab a box of cookies or it was my birthday. So my wife bought me some, a box of donuts and some cookies and some other stuff. And if it's there, I will just devour it. And so one of the mindset things for me is just like, keep it away. Like make sure like create an environment where I don't have options. So whether that's diet, keeping the cookies out of the pantry or uh, making it really easy to follow the routine that I wanna follow. So another example, like in our, in our garage, we have a gym that we've assembled over the years. It's a squat rack with kettlebells and a box for box jumps. We have a, a wall ball. And so like right now in lockdown mode, I have no excuses. Like I can go walk 30 steps into the garage. And even if I do a 15 minute workout, I can go get something done. So that it reduces the friction or the excuses of why, like why not train even though I'm not in training mode. Um, you know, I have multiple pairs of running shoes. I keep them in different places so that if I ever want to run, it's like really easy. I just put them on and I go. So I think it's just like more about creating the environment. So I don't, that's, that is what allows me to stay more disciplined because if you, if you put yourself in a situation, you have to keep making decisions or choices, then I think that just gets fatiguing. I mean, there's, there's a whole set of research around decision fatigue, decision fatigue. Yeah. Get. And your, your willpower, goes down throughout the course of the day. I see it myself even now, end of the day, because I'm not really training, I'm more loose on my diet. And so at night, if I'm getting catching up on email, 
I might go grab a box uh, of cereal from the shelf that my, my son, it's supposed to be for my son, but I'm like, oh, great, cinnamon squares, I'll take some it's because it's there, but usually it's not there. And so um, my willpower is, is definitely no different than anybody else's. So I just try to create an environment where I don't have to make those choices all the time. So that's really, what I find interesting about that is that, and I'm curious what your thoughts are around discipline is I think there's this misconception about discipline in that it's about making those decisions. And really, I think what it's about is the things that you mentioned. It's, you have a way of monitoring activity, right? You're tracking the calories. You're keeping bad things away from you so you don't have to decide to not do those things. And then you make it really easy to do the things that you need to do, you know, the training, you know, portion of it. Well, yeah. what, do you, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would say like discipline is actually removing decisions, mm -hmm. not making decisions. Yeah. If you remove the decisions, that makes it easy to stay on course. So like using the lockdown situation, even though, again, I'm not training for a race right now, we were, I think it was like two or three weeks into, you know, it was like towards the end of March for a couple of weeks into this whole stay at home lockdown thing. And I was pretty much still trying to keep a workout routine most days. Um, and then on the weekend, I might have a beer or two. And I remember one weekend, uh, two nights in a row, I had like two beers both nights. And I woke up on Saturday and Sunday morning, just kind of not feeling fresh. It wasn't like I was hungover over two beers, but I could just tell it wasn't, I wasn't feeling my, I didn't feel great. And like, these are the two days that I should probably get some rest because I don't have to wake up at six in the morning and get work done. And I just decided, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to decide now I'm not having any alcohol for the next couple of months you know, until this sort of lockdown thing is over, then I'm just not going to have any alcohol. So that what that does, making one decision to save a thousand, uh, Greg McCown talks about this in his book, Essentialism, yep. make one decision to save a thousand. So like making that one decision, then I have to think about it every weekend on Friday night. And is tonight going to be, am I going to have a beer tonight or not? Or or we're having steak on Saturday. Should, should I go grab a glass of wine or not? I'm like, no, I'm not. No, certainly there's times where I, we had a steak on Sunday night, Monday night, I think for my birthday. And it would have been nice to have a glass of wine, but I'm like, what's the real cost of that benefit of that wine? Like, okay, great. It makes the steak a more pleasurable experience, but then I'm also going to feel groggy. I got to get up early on Tuesday. It's a work day. It's just not worth it. And so I did the same thing for training. The last race I did was in February down in New Zealand, it was a hundred mile ultra. And so back in early November, I made the same decision. I basically said in early November, I've got holidays coming up with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And I just decided I'm not going to have any alcohol until after the race is over. So that that way, every time we're at a party or meeting with friends or whatever, I don't have to worry about making that decision. And it was tough because we had, you know, lots of stuff to go do around Christmas time. But um, sometimes I wanted that beer or a glass of wine, but I was just like, that's ah, just the longer term outcome is more important than a glass of wine with a turkey dinner. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. I always think about things in terms of utility, you know, very economics you know, way of thinking mm -hmm. about like, what am I going to get, you know, from this thing that I'm consuming or the money that I'm spending is, yeah. and is that thing going to make it you know, worth it or not? Because a lot of things, especially if you have the money, doesn't, it doesn't really matter how much it costs, you know, at that point, it's yeah. the toll that it will take on you. So this interesting thing to me about discipline is when someone says, Hey, you know, you're so disciplined, you know, cause I get that compliment. Sometimes I'm sure you get that compliment as well. It's really yeah. about, no, I'm just really good at 
um, being proactive and making it easy. Yeah. The things that I need to do and like removing the decision aspect to it. Yeah. So removing the decision. And then the, I think the other piece to it for me, and I was, as I was, I was thinking about this this morning, actually on a run. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, a phrase that Seth Godin talks about all the time when it comes to would be writers. So I've, I've listened to him on a number of different podcast interviews and he talks about people with writer's block and he doesn't believe in writer's block. And his perspective on it is that the reason people feel blocked is they're not willing to deal with the trick, meaning that you have to write a bunch of crap mm. and in order to get to the good stuff. And most people aren't willing to tolerate that, what he calls dreck. They're not willing to deal with it. And he, like Stephen King talks about this with his book. He wrote a book about writing. He talks about writing being archaeology. Like the, the story is there. You got to like dig it out and, and figure out where the bones are. And then once you know where the bones are, then you can, you know, clear the area and, and let the, you know, the story unfold. And the, so once you've created this environment where it makes it easy to, to get started, you then have to like make that decision to start even mm. like those days where I know in the garage, it's going to suck because I went to bed at 11 and I was up at five and I'm feeling tired and it's Thursday night, Thursday night. And I really don't feel like doing it. It's the, the, what you were talking about before with the utility of, okay, I know I really don't want to start and it's going to be a feel horrible in the end. It's going to be worth it. Cause I know that feeling of endorphins of freshness, like when I'm done, out of breath, sweaty, and finished, it's gonna, I'm gonna be glad that I did. So step one is like, yeah, removing decisions. And then step two is just be willing to start, even if you know it's not gonna be great as an experience. And that whether that's prospecting in sales or going out for a run. This morning I got up and I was like, this is gonna be a horrible run. <laughs> and the first six and a half of the seven miles were actually pretty horrible. Uh, it's just like my legs were tired, my knees are still a little sore. It, but the environment was great. It was a nice, cool morning. And I just figured I'm just going to keep going. And then the last half a mile, I finally felt like I hit a stride. So it took me six and a half miles to get through that, to find a half a mile of like real running bliss. But had I not decided, okay, I'm going to go do this and then start it, I never would have had that experience. Yeah, there's so many parallels, I think, especially with prospecting and being you know, this endurance like mindset where it's like the activities I'm doing right now, I don't actually see the fruits of it like mm -hmm. right now, but this utility concept, it's, it's kind of like looking at the ROI of things that you do that are hard to quantify the ROI of, you know, things that you can't really measure with money yeah. that are more of like an activity and a, do I feel good or is it good for my health kind of thing. But let's start talking about some of those parallels because we were talking about this prior, and I, I think there's just a ton of parallels between what you're doing as an endurance athlete. And if I looked correctly, you've been doing sales for what, 24 years? Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty so much been, out of college. Yeah. You've been doing this a long time. Um, and really now where, we, where what you're doing is really fascinating is you're really focused on those like startups, mm -hmm. right? And these people that are embarking on this, again, a really long journey <laughs> ahead yeah. of them. But what are some of the, the parallels that you see between endurance, you know, and being a, a, a startup founder and having to sell or being like on that startup selling team when you're getting something started, knowing that you're about to embark on a really long journey? What are some of the parallels that you see? Well, I, yeah, it's a great question. And like one of it, one of it is like just thinking about the, the consistency 
-hmm. like whether, whether you're prospecting or selling or doing anything on a startup, like it's, there's never going to be one day where you're done. So you, you can't go walk into the, like, okay, here's the day. It's going to be a great, this is the day where everything's going to be awesome. Like, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. Instead you say, okay, I just didn't have to do the work every day. So in the, let's say in a prospecting sense, it's saying, okay, every day I got to do my 20 calls, no matter what. And some days are going to be bad days. And maybe 19 of those calls will be terrible, but then I'll get to 21 and it'll be good. You have to sort of be willing to deal with that and do that work and also do the right prep so that when you do get the right opportunity presented in front of you, you can take advantage of it. So like using the, the birthday run that I did as an example, I haven't been training, doing any running. I've only run 10 or 20 miles a week for the last couple of months. But because I have first had a really strong foundation because I've been doing these races for 10 years. And secondly, because every single day I've been working out and exercising since I made that decision in March to exercise every single day, that at least I know my muscles are strong. My tendons are strong. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to injure myself. So I've had that foundation. So like every 15 minute workout that I've done, even the one back on April 3rd, then I know that contributed to me being able to wake up at 5.30 or wake up at 4.30, leave the house at 5.30 and go do a 29 mile run and know that I'm going to be able to get it done. Even if it's not going to be the, the best 29 mile run I've ever done. So like being able to just being consistent, doing the work, putting in the foundation for that future payoff. What do you see people like in the businesses that you work with and the sales you know, folks that you work with right now, what do you see getting the way of people being consistent? That's a really good question. Um, a lot of it is, so I would say there's two things. So one, one is a psychological barrier and the other is a self-management barrier. So the psychological barrier is just the fear. Like I think all of us, you know, however long you've been doing sales, I've been doing sales for 25 years. Every sales call I do, even today, I get a little nervous. And I think that's a good thing because it means I care, right? And by the way, that's hard for me to imagine, you know? I know. And, it's, and I tell that to clients because I want uh -huh. clients to know that even though I've been doing this for 25 years, like the same thing, if I'm writing an email response, if I'm writing a LinkedIn message to somebody if it's like a connection request like yeah i just want to connect but even then i'm like i care i'm like i, I don't want to screw this up i want to make sure that this person yeah. knows this message is for them it's not like some like i would like to add you to my connection like i want them to know i looked at their profile and like hey there's a reason i'm reaching out and this is really me in this 300 characters that i get so i care about that message i care about the emails that i write i get nervous if i send off a video to somebody that i've never talked to before and sometimes I'll do two or three takes on Vidyard because I want to make sure I, I like capture what the emotion is that I want to relay. And I think that's, that fear is never goes away. It shouldn't ever go away. Like I'm scared before every race I ever do because there's a certain component of it. Like, okay, if something could go wrong here, that's why I do them. Like if there's no fear of failure, then what's the fun in doing it in the first place? That's, I mean, that's a really great one-liner right there. I, I, and I don't know if this is a generational thing, mm -hmm. but so my parents' generation, so my parents are in their late 50s. So whatever generation that is, I don't even know. But the men 
I'm curious your thoughts on this. I, I don't want to make this political, not in that way, but the men in that generation, typically what I heard growing up was just, you know, it's not okay. You have to be fearful. And my dad was not yeah. a jerk and he's very supportive, sure. you know, nothing like that. It wasn't toxic, you know, masculinity sure. at, at its worst, but there was this, like, it's not okay to be fearful. You just need to do it anyways. And what I just heard from you is just an admission that you do get, you are fearful and that it's okay. And I just wrote a post about this last week, actually, around cold calling. I was like, dude, I get so nervous before a cold call, especially if I'm calling yeah. a VP at a big company. I'm like, <sighs> you know, the heart's racing, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so how do you, how do you manage that, that fear? Because you take action regardless, it sounds like, how do you, how do you manage the fear and, yeah. and work, work with it? It's, well, it's the decision that we've made earlier that says, okay, I know I need to do this. This is part of the business um, is number one. Number two is if I'm asking clients to go and say, hey, you've got to go do outbound or you've got to call people before a demo and ask them questions that might make them feel like, I, like they, they signed up for the demo and I don't want to annoy them. I'm like, no, no, no you have to do these things. They're like, yeah, but I know they're busy. Like everybody has the yeah, but like, yeah, but yeah, but. And so if I, it's, it's almost like, well, they're expecting me, like I have to lead by example. So I can't mm -hmm. ask a client, oh, you have to go run this outbound sequence, or you have to go do these LinkedIn connections, or you have to do these videos. I can't expect them to do it if I'm not willing to do it. Like we're doing a 10 day video challenge right now with our clients as part of our, our coaching program. And every day is a different type of video. And the very first video we had them do is a simple thank you video to a client, to a customer they have, because that's like the easiest thing to do. It's like, hey, Jason, you've been such a great client. Let's say thank you. Your product idea has been wonderful. It's been wonderful working with you and your team. Let me know if you need anything. It's like easy. But then every day they get a little bit more difficult to like day four, the video that they had to do is a cold email video. So it's like, hey, Jason, I know we haven't chatted before. You may have seen the email I sent over to you last week about how we work with XYZ companies. I wanted to send you a quick note so you can get a little sense for who I am. Uh, here in this in this email, if you look above, there's a link to a case study that I wanted to share with you because it's just like a company like yours. So if you're ever up for a chat, let me know. Like that's you know a basic cold video email that you would do mm -hmm. as part of a sequence. I had to do that because I was giving an example in every video post, and I'm like, ah, like I got to go do this video. Yeah, and I felt a little nervous, but not like, but if, if I'm going to ask them to do it, then I need to be willing to do it. Well, that's, I mean, that's the difference between, and it's also another thing that sticks out to me about you too and getting to know you is, yeah, that's the difference between you and, and most of the sales trainers out there. And, and I would throw myself in this bucket of, yeah, the stuff that we tell people to do, we do. Like we yeah. actually know how to do this shit ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so what I heard there is there's like this acceptance, you know, kind of part of like, hey, I'm acknowledging that I'm fearful, but you've already made this decision. And uh, have you read Influence by Robert Cialdini? Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. I have not read it, but I have like the principles, yeah. you know, cause it's yeah. a dense book, you know, if you've read yeah. it, I wonder if there's some parallels here, uh, the psychology of the uh, law of consistency or whatever it's, whatever it is, mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, if I say that I am this person and identify as a person that does this stuff and I put that out into the world, <laughs> whether that's I'm coaching yeah. and training people that, or, or putting it out there on LinkedIn or whatever, I'm going to feel so much more pressure to do that. And I guess people call that accountability. Yeah. Do you think that's part of it too, where it's this almost, I'm, I identify as someone that does take action regardless of fear. That's just mm -hmm. who I am now. Is part of it that? I think so. I mean, I do that with, with races that I run. Mm -hmm. Whenever I sign up for a race, I tell people about it. I tell my friends about it. 
Yeah. I post about it on Facebook. I talk about it on LinkedIn. And even so far as I'll talk about time goals that I have. Now, I don't do a race looking to win, but I think about like what's a good push for me. So like this Western States 100 race that I was supposed to do in June, there's this kind of threshold, like trying getting under 24 hours, you get a silver buckle if you finish under 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, it's like, and about a third, maybe a fourth of the runners can get there, but it's, it takes a push to get done in under 24 hours. I've never done a hundred mile race in under 24 hours. Uh, but when I found out I got into this race, I did a public video about this. I'm like, this is what, this is my goal. And it's a forcing function for me. And I even wrote, I had a, a piece of paper that I taped to my window that said 23, 59, 59. And it was on my bathroom mirror. So in the morning when I walked in 23, 59, 59. So that way, if I'm, if I'm on a run and I don't really feel like pushing that hard, then it's in my brain. It's like, okay, I don't feel like pushing, but for this next mile, I'm going to go a little harder. Or when I get home, instead of just stretching, maybe I'll do a hundred kettlebell swings. What's that one little extra thing I can do that's going to get me under 24 hours. Cause I may or may not get there. And now I've got a, another year to train for it. I may not get to 24 hours, but at least I want to know I've given everything I could to, to, mm-hmm. to try. Like, I don't, I don't want to not get there. So I had this with the race back in September last year. I did the Tahoe 200. It's a 205 mile race. And I had done it two years ago and finished in 82 hours, which I was pretty happy with the time. I was like 39th out of whatever, 200 people. Do you sleep? Um, yeah, a little bit. So a couple of years ago, I slept more this yeah. year, but this year, so I looked at that race. I was like, look, I know I can do the race. The first time I did the race, there was this fear. Like I may not finish. I'd never done even a hundred mile race before yeah. I signed up for the 200 mile race. So this is just like a true excursion into the unknown. Uh, but then I finished in 82 hours. I was like, wow, this is really good. And I thought, well, I'll probably never do that race again. The next year, my friend Kelly, who's a better runner than me, he did the race. And I paced him for part of it. And he finished in 68 hours. He came in like 10th overall. Damn. And I was like, and I watched how he managed the race. Like, how did he plan? How did he structure? Where did he rest? Where did he sleep? Where did he have his crew? I just watched him do it. And I'm like, huh. I bet you I could get at least, I don't know if I could do 68, but I think I can get down to 72. If I could knock 10 hours off. I think there's a way to do it. So I went back and thought about the race and I pulled it apart. I'm like, okay, if I do these things, here's my race plan. I can do it. I can get under 72 hours. And I told everybody about this. I'm like, I'm going to do the race again, which are like, you're crazy. Why would you want to do a 200 mile race again? Not only do I want to do the 200 mile race again, but I'm going to chop 10 hours off. And so I did the race and I came ended up coming at 73 hours and 19 minutes. Damn. So I just missed. And I know exactly where that one hour and 19 minutes is like, I know where I lost that time. So I could have done it. I just didn't, but I don't feel bad. I don't feel like, Oh, I missed my goal. The race sucked. I feel really happy about that race. I feel really happy about the result. I set that goal. There's the public accountability to it. And i did everything I could to get as close to it as I could. And I, maybe I didn't hit that goal, but it's arbitrary number. Anyway, I still knocked nine hours off my time. That's pretty mm-hmm. freaking awesome. Yeah, I think there's so many lessons in there for sales around accountability and making it easy for yourself to stay motivated. You know, if you put, I don't, 
I don't care what anyone says. Like when people are like, oh, activities don't measure activities. I'm like, you, you got to measure activities. Come on. Yeah. You got to measure the number of calls and the number of emails you're sending out. Put that on a sticky note, put it on your mirror. Um, if you don't publicly talk about it on LinkedIn, cause that might be kind of weird for your prospects to see your activity goals every day. Um, right. You should be telling everyone on your team what your yeah. goals are. Tell your, your spouse, your, anyone in your family that cares, have an accountability partner, something where you're like, putting it out there and this principle of consistency starts to kick in where you're like, Hey, I'm identifying and I'm saying I'm this person. And if I don't do the effort part of this, the part of my control, I'm going against my identity as a person, you know? Um, what about self-management? So that's the psychology piece of it. Is there anything you said around people yeah. not being able to stay, to, uh, stay consistent around self-management? What were some of the things you were talking about there? So that, that is more of a, uh, how, how do you self-lead? So like self-leadership mm -hmm. or self-management. So if you look at your activities throughout the course of the day, and this is something we're doing internally as a team on our company, mm -hmm. we're looking at, okay, these are, the, these are the activities that we're doing every day. Do these activities make sense? Like, do, like of all the things I'm doing every day, every week, of all the things Jocelyn's doing every day, every week, Matt, Amy, Ronnie, all the stuff that everybody's doing, should we even be doing all those things? Maybe it's probably like 20% of the stuff that all of us are doing. We could probably just like pull it out because it's just either legacy stuff or we decided to do it four months ago. And now we look at the current environment or like, you know, it's actually not that important to be doing that stuff right now. So let's just take it out. So I think one piece of it is like, we get into this like rut of, well, I've always done this. I've always checked email first thing in the morning. And cause I want to, I don't want to miss a message. Well, what is the cost of you checking email? The true cost. Like that, that what you think is a 15 minute check email turns into a three hour rabbit hole. So if instead we say, look, if somebody emailed you at 11 o'clock at night, are they really expecting a response at seven o'clock in the morning? So what if instead you say, look, before you check your email, let's make from seven to nine your prospecting block mm -hmm. and just commit to that, make that the decision. And then that way you, you'll be able to make that space that you don't think you have you're like, oh, I'm just really busy. I'm running the company and I've got to worry about financing and product and this and this and this. Well, a lot of it's just like self-management saying like, am I, am I really, that is the busyness overcoming the needs of the business. So that's what I mean by self-management. Oh, that's a really, is the, busy, is the busyness overcoming the needs in the business? Because there's, I mean, I can think of a, a half a dozen things that, a rep or a startup founder might be doing that's selling that's like, well, I'm just, I'm told I'm supposed to do this stuff from a prospecting standpoint. So I've just been right. doing it. And you look at that and you're like, well, yeah, that could make it really hard to be consistent when you're doing something that you don't even know works or not. Right. Yeah. So it's this like constant trimming of fat. And you mentioned something around the response time to email too. And one thing I have to point out is that there's this study that people have seen with inbound leads on the response time and mm -hmm. it's such BS. Like a lot of people take that as, well, as a sales rep, if I'm prospecting and someone responds to my email, I got to get back to them in five to 10 minutes. No, that's just not the case. In fact, I think that doesn't make you look very busy if you have to feel the need to respond within five to 10 minutes and you don't have boundaries either. One thing that I'm willing to do, it just happened today. A guy signed up. And I'm trying to get him to actually schedule a time, but he called me and then texted me. He's like, really trying to, I'm like, I'm literally booked up today. I don't have time to meet. I can meet at these times. Like I'm making it as easy as possible as I can for him to book a meeting, but I'm also willing to say, 
dude, that's a boundary I have. Like if, if he needs to communicate in that way, I'm not going to be a good fit for him. And I think part of this consistency thing too, is like knowing what to say no to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, so like if you're, if you're like an S, if you're an SDR or you're an account exec or even like a startup founder, right? There's this, mm. I'll use the email example because it's the easiest one. Everybody feels like I got to check email. Well, let's, let's take an extreme case. You know, does Elon Musk wake up in the morning and worry about his email? Does Bill Gates wake up in the morning and worry about his email? Of course not right now. Those are two of the you know, most significant figures in the world today. But if you think about like, how do you own yourself? Like, how do you, how do you manage yourself? How do you manage your time? How do you set expectations to your point with people? If you think, if you sort of take an executive mindset and apply it to your world, like you can't have a situation. If you're an SDR, you can't like farm out somebody checking your email because like that's your job. You got to like <laughs> reply to emails when people email you back. But you can certainly apply that framework and say, well, look, I'm going to own my time. I know it's like, I know over the long run, I have to do my 20 dials or my 20 calls or 20 outreaches. If I don't get those done early in the day, then I get lost in email rabbit holes or I do a demo in the afternoon. And then after the demo, I've got all these follow-ups and all of a sudden, by the way, I'm homeschooling and my husband is, uh, needs some help doing some project. And now all of a sudden that time I thought I was going to spend doing prospecting from three in the afternoon to five is gone, just vanished, which happens to me pretty much every other day <laughs> working from home, right? My wife's a PhD economist. She's doing research papers, like unique research that nobody else in the world has ever done. She's a UC Davis ag agricultural research ag economist. It's like deep work too. That's yeah, deep, stuff deep that work. Takes some time. We talk yeah. about this. Yeah. Cal Newport talks about this. Um, so she needs these time blocks. We have an eight-year-old at home trying to homeschool him. He's an only child. So he doesn't have the, like a playmate built in. So like we're his playmates in a lot of ways. And so like... What those days where I think I'm going to have time from three to five, they just disappear. So I know for me, I've got to get up at five in the morning and there's certain, there's certain type of work every day that I have to get done between five and roughly eight in the morning or seven thirty in the morning. Cause if I don't get it done for me, that's a LinkedIn post or a video or responding back to some active prospects. If I don't do it, then it's not going to get done until 10 o'clock at night. And I can't stay up to 10 o'clock at night every single night working. So you got to like own that self-management, whether you're an SDR or, an, or a CEO and say like, this is, this is the way I'm going to run my day, own your day so that you can do the stuff that you need to do to build that foundation. That's going to pay off down the road. Do you see this? I love everything about that, by the way. Do you see this pattern from a productivity and time management standpoint when you start working with startup founders, especially where there's this. I don't use my calendar for anything outside of appointments. So in other words, they don't make any appointments with themselves to like do this yeah. type of stuff. Do you see that at all? Is this part of the problem too with this? I love the executive mindset mentality mm -hmm. too, especially for like the most entry level of, of salespeople, right? Like owning your day. But do you see that at all? Yeah. It's one of the things we do. Like we work in six week project cycles with clients. Mm -hmm. So we just started a six week cycle last week. We use six weeks cause it's, it's, it's a, it's a, paradigm that they're used to from a product standpoint, thinking about these six week product cycles, and then we break it down into two week sprints. And all the time when we're coming out of this, like, okay, this is the project I'm going to work on over the next six weeks might be working with you on building an outbound sequence version 1.0, or it might be re refactoring how we're doing our product demos, like whatever that sort of system is that we need to install into the process. 
we always say, okay, so what are your first three steps to get started? And what's funny is people are like, okay, well, first step is I have to like write the first 10 emails that are going to go out in the sequence. And then the second thing is I have to sign up for outreach. And then the third step is I need to send the sequence. I'm like, okay, you just described about six months yeah. worth of work. <laughs> so let me make this easier for you. Okay. Your first step is when are you going to work on this project next? Like when do you have an hour where you can spend, we're writing the first email in the outbound sequence and they go, hold on, let me look. And it might be a Tuesday and they go, well, the first open time I have on my calendar is on Friday at one o'clock. Great. So Friday, one o'clock right now, put a calendar invite to yourself, to your team that says work on first version outbound sequence email. Like that's step one is put the time in your calendar. Step two is, okay, what do you need to do between now and then to make sure that you're going to be ready for that? Well, I should probably maybe at night I can listen to the recording of the coaching call we just had with Jason. Cool. That's step two. And what's step three? Step three is send me the first version uh, or send Jason the first version of the email so we can look at it and let you know if you're on the right track. Those are your first three steps. It's like so small, like these small steps are what builds momentum. It's like the ultra running, right? This morning I got up 5.30 in the morning. I'm like walking out the garage and I'm like, this is going to suck. And the only way to start is to take the first couple steps and get through the first, get to the first stop sign get to the first mile, get to the second mile. Okay, well, there's a tree over there. I might as well just run to that tree. It's like, I, I do this stuff all the time, but still I got to set these small goals, especially on days where I don't feel right and it doesn't feel great, but I know I need to get this run done because the rest of the day is jam. So like keeping it super, super simple to build the momentum is one of the things we do all the time. Whether it's an individual salesperson or a startup founder, we're like, hey, we're gonna roll the strategy out to the team, great. When are you going to do that? Let's put time in the calendar right now. When is the team available? So to your point, yeah, you like small steps is the, is the only way to get started. No, I love that. And that's something I've learned from working with you a lot, actually. And it's this, there's something to being able to check off a box. There's something mentally that feels so good about yeah. making progress. And when you make the progress easy to make, it's like losing weight, right? And you see yeah. it, you lose a pound. Like the motivation is really easy after you start and you have just a tiny bit of success when you're trying to lose weight, right? Totally. It's like, oh my God, I just lost a pound. That was, I, that was easy. I did that in like three yeah. or four days. Like I can do that again. And I think taking that same approach as a startup founder or SDR or whatever it might be, hey, if you got to rewrite your stuff, dude, just make it really easy. Just start with the first email. Just get that done. And then once yeah. that gets done, send it. You don't have to create a whole sequence before you yeah. send it. That's another thing that I picked up on working with your, with your crew at sales quality was, I was like, shoot, like these people have so much other stuff going on. Yeah. They're running a business. Sales is one of the many things they're doing. Make it really easy for them. Like you don't have to create a training plan for your, and it might work like this for ultra marathons. I don't know. But when I trained yeah. for a marathon and I didn't do a very good job of it, I kind of had a rough idea of what I was going to do and what that looked like, but I didn't like go through my calendar and map out every single day. And like, I was just like, Hey, well, what's the first week going to look like from there? And then I can, you know, hit my number of you know days that I need hit my miles, et cetera. But I think that's super, super important, man. Uh, Oh, we're out of time, dude. <laughs> so that's a um, I could go for like another six hours. Yeah. <laughs> we're just um, getting started, man. It's like mile yeah. one. 
No, I love this dude. This endurance mindset for sales success, I think is so important in these micro wins. But is there anything else you want to let us know? Like any other last words of advice and then let us know uh, definitely, you know, what you want us to check out, how to connect with you, that sort of thing before you take off. Um, easiest place to go is just our website, salesqualia, salesqualia, Q-U-A-L-I-A.com. If you go there, uh, what I always encourage people to do right there at the homepage, there's a big link that says download. Uh, there's a, a full, we, I wrote a book last year called Stop Hustling, Start Scaling. And it's designed for early stage teams to ramp up and build a repeatable sales process. It's an entire playbook on how to do it. You can buy it on Amazon, but I don't even care about the royalties. All I want to do is get this book out to as many people as possible. So we're giving away a complete version of the book in PDF. So if you just grab a copy of that, that'll also add yourself to our email list. We'll keep you updated with uh, podcasts and live trainings and everything else that we're doing. So that's the best place to go is salesquality.com. Um, as far as like last messages for people, I would say, I mean, for me, I just think about every day, every week, every month, like I sit down every morning and I write morning pages and some days like yesterday was a big day. It was a hard day. I was, I was dreading yesterday on Tuesday night. It was yesterday was a Wednesday on Tuesday night. I was like dreading this day. Cause I was like, not dreading it. And they're like, Oh, my life sucks. Just a busy day. I was like onboarding a new client. We're doing a training. I had like three or four calls in a row. I had all these deliverables. I'm like, this could be a hard day. Yeah. And I just sat down and told myself, it's going to be a hard day and it's okay. Cause I choose this every day I get to do that. And secondly, just do one thing at a time. Just be present. I got an onboarding call at 7am with a brand new client. Cool. I'm going to show up to that call at 655, ready to go. So when he gets on, I'm going to bring everything I've got to this guy to know that he made the right decision to start working with us. So when he walks out of there, he feels like that was the only call I had all day long. And then I take a five minute break and then I move to the next thing. We had the training with you at 10 o'clock, five minutes before I'm like, okay, for the next hour and a half, the only thing that matters to me are the 25 clients that are going to be on this call and making sure that they learn everything they can in the next 90 minutes. And I get off that call and it's like, whew, take a breath. Let's go, you know, get a can of sardines and have lunch and then get to the next call and then the next call. And it's just like, it's just, it's just one state station to station is a big mantra in ultra running. Don't worry about running hundred miles or 200 miles. Just get to the next aid station. Just focus on that next piece that you've got to focus on. Be present, do that thing, do your very best that you can. And the one thing you've got, and then move on to the next thing. Focus on now, now worry about later, later. I love it, man. Well, hey, dude, it's been good jamming with you. As always, I'm glad we were able to actually record, you know, one of the many conversations that we've had in the last couple of months. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Is the busyness overcoming the needs in the business? I love this. And this totally applies to sales too. Is the busyness overcoming the needs for you to close work, right? And do the thing that you were hired to do. Get meetings and close deals, right? I really, really like this episode. I uh, love always jamming with Scott. And that was my biggest takeaway is, am I just being busy essentially for the sake of being busy? Thank you for tuning in. Before you take off, I would love if you left a quick review on iTunes with what you thought about the podcast. Uh, you can do that at blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes or just search for Blissful Prospecting in your podcast app. Leave a review. It really helps so I can continue getting on great guests like Scott. I do this podcast for free. There's some costs associated with it. So it helps to have a big audience so that we can uh, get more great guests just like Scott. So appreciate you tuning in and we'll talk to you soon.